from the Torch Studio in Houston, Texas, featuring leaders and personalities from Jewish communities around the globe. This is the Sunday special edition of the Jewish Inspiration Podcast with Rabbi Arya Wolfe. All right, welcome back everybody to the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. This is another special Sunday edition of our podcast, and our guest this week is a dear friend of mine, Rabbi Tzvi Blachman from Yerushalayim, from Jerusalem, and our hope is that through this podcast we'll get to know Rabbi Blachman and learn from his incredible wisdom. We had the privilege in our community here in Houston, Texas, uh, to have Rabbi Blachman with us, and he spoke multiple times over Yom Tov, and it was absolutely soul-stirring. It was emotional. It was in, enriching of our Chag, of our Yom Tov, and enlightening. And definitely for me personally, uh, gave me a huge, huge aliyah, a huge elevation to my whole holiday. And I want to thank you. Thank you so much for coming. And thank you so much for agreeing thank to be you. on our podcast here. Thank you, Harry. So, Rabbi Blachman, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? And uh, where do you currently live? I was born and bred in Jerusalem, the holy, the holy city and the holy land. My father was born in a DP camp in Hamburg right after the Holocaust. Was, you know, his parents were Holocaust survivors. My grandfather lost his entire family. He was the youngest of 12 brothers, siblings. He was already married. He had children, my uncles, they all got murdered. He remarried to my grandmother right after the war. And after two years, they emigrated to America. My mother was also, and she grew up also to her parents that were Holocaust survivors. And she grew up in Paris. They both came to Jerusalem and they got married there. And here I am. Baruch Hashem, I, I live in Yerushalayim. I teach students, Israeli students and American students. And I'm trying to, my life goal is to try to connect the teenagers to their roots, to strengthen their relationship with who they are, with their Jewish identity. And um, a, part of, a, a part of that mission, I also find myself... So, once a while in Houston, Texas, to try to strengthen every single person who needs it, to to feel proud about who we about his identity as a as a Jew, to connect everyone to his sources, and uh, to develop Jewish pride in our nation, which I feel that in our generation it's something really important, because once we live in a global world in such an environment we can sometimes lose our significance and our importance and our pride as Jews. Amazing. So I, I don't know if you know this, but I was also born in Yerushalayim, in the holy city of Jerusalem. And but I didn't grow up in Jerusalem. I at three years old my parents moved to New York and I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and then later in Muncie, New York. But you grew up in Yerushalayim. Right. So what can you tell us, our listeners about what it was growing up in Jerusalem in the early 80s. You were born in the late 78. I think I'm a little bit older than you. So, 
78. You were born in June. I'm born in April. So what was it like growing up in Yerushalayim, Irak, the holy city of Jerusalem, back in the 80s, the 90s? I will tell you, Jerusalem of today is an incredible, humongous, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful city. I mean, this construction very, going on everywhere. Yeah, very beautiful and very modern city. A lot of tourists and people get inspired from the beauty of Jerusalem. Of Jerusalem. Jerusalem today is a modern city. When I grew up, when I grew up in Jerusalem, there were still neighborhoods that once you entered those neighborhoods, you felt that you go that history stopped eight years ago, and you were going, you were going between houses and people, holy people, who lived like our ancestors ninety years ago, as far as connection to God, as far as the way they perceive life, without with zero expectation from materialistic life. They didn't have anything in their mind besides serving a Baruch Hu. They needed some food. They needed some money to support their family, but they, have, they didn't have any physical inspirations. No concepts of luxury. Nothing. No, I mean, they, they were making fun of it. They, 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 they didn't need it. They thought it's, 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 it's stupid even. Because, it was, it was hidden that were, I can, I, I can give an example. It was a neighborhood, it was called Shire Chesed, right near Rechavia. Rechavia is like a more, like a more modern neighborhood. If you would cross Rechavia Seshkin into Shire Chesed, you would go back in history, you would go back 80 years ago in history. Just and by crossing see, the street? Just crossing the street. You would see Abshlam Zamad Erbach, the Groshel, Rosenthal, you would see Abshalom Shvajon, holy people, people that didn't have anything in life but think about the Kodesh Baruch and trying to learn his, to, to live according to his values and to try to give over the knowledge of Hashem to the future generation and to help other people to be, to live real Jewish life. Which is, again, Judaism perceive materialism as a tool, not as a goal. It's a tool to live our life in order to serve Hakadosh Baruch Hu. The goal is to serve Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Materialism, money, it's just a tool. Use a tool exactly as a tool. Whatever you need in order to live your life and to serve God and to learn His Torah and to daven, and to educate your children with Jewish values. That's, that's, what, that's, that's the purpose of any materialistic issue that we have. As Chazal say, legit, Chazal say, Pat b'melech tochal, v'mayim b'mesurat yishteh. It's interesting that there's a Mishnah in Perkei Avot. The Mishnah in Perkei Avot says, im en kemach, and Torah. It meant Torah and Kemach. It means without food, you will not be able to learn Torah. Without Torah, there is no food. And the question is obvious. I understand that without, without money, you cannot learn Torah. You cannot still learn if you don't have a way to feed yourself. 
but what what is the pshat without Torah and Kemach? Without Torah, you don't have money. I know many people who don't have a drop of Torah and they have a lot of money. I know so many people. And I heard from I heard once from an old Jew in Jerusalem. I heard it from one of the greatest Rashi Shivot in Lithuania, Rabbi Shimon Shkop. And he said the following shot. He meant Kemach and Torah. Without money, you will not be able to sit and learn. You need to have the basics. You need to have, you need to get, you need to work a bit to have some money to feed your family, to support your family in order to be able to learn Torah. You cannot learn Torah and, and be hungry. But how much money do you need? How much money do you need? How big are your needs? He meant Torah and Kemach. As less Torah you have, that's why you're more missing the Kemach. Because, because a person who, who, who feeds himself with Torah and he, he lives his life with such a meaningful life of connect, connection to Takarish Baruchu, his needs in the physical area, in the materialistic area, are basics. He doesn't need it. He, he, he understands that all those things are just a tool. I know so many people that the holy people, they never had any inspiration to have a nice car or a beautiful pool in their backyard. They, 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 they never needed it because they are so full and they're so satiated and they're so happy with their life that it's not one of their wishes that they never, they, they never thought about that. They never, they didn't, it doesn't mean anything to them. What this rule has to offer them is only a tool. They need to eat, they need to f- support their family, they need to have the ability to pay the bills. But all, all this only for one purpose, that they'll be able to serve, to God. serve a Godesh Baruchu, to learn his Torah, to educate his children, and to give over the, the torch of Judaism to the future generation. And that's their meaning for life. And that's what I experienced in Jerusalem of 35, 40 years ago. Amazing. There were were many, many, many people that had the way they lived their life. I I don't know if you know, but when I was 15 years old, I was learning in yeshiva in Brooklyn, New York. And I decided, after speaking to my two older brothers who were already learning in yeshiva in Israel, that... I was going to possibly miss out on building a connection with my grandfather. So I told my father, I said, that's it. This is after ninth grade. I'm going to Israel. He says, if you have a yeshiva in Israel, good luck. So I called my grandfather, Zechat Sadik Lerocho, and Rabbi, Rabbi Wolby, my grandfather, and I said, that, you know, I, I need a yeshiva to go to next year. He says, call me back in a couple of weeks and we'll see if I can find something for you called him back and he had down the block from him in Givat Shoul, Yeshivat Oral Hanan, Yeshivatan and Rochovel Kabetz. And I learned there, Baruch Hashem, for two years. It was amazing, Shobez Show Gimel. And then I went to Beryl Eisenstein. And the truth is, is that the remarkable connection I was able to make not only with him, but with not only with my grandfather, but with people who were living their life just to serve Hashem. That's it. You, you look at the, my, my grandfather who would sit and learn with her Mordechai Zuckerman, and you see two pillars of Torah. Like it's like it's just unreal. There's nothing in the world greater than just sitting and learning Torah. 
amazing. The humility, the, the, the kindness, the love that they had, it was, it was just amazing. I must tell you, Arya, that I knew your grandfather. <clears throat> I used to hear him, used to go to listen to him about seven years every Shabbat. In Kotara. To hear his speech in Kotara. I, I used to you, walk with him there. Really? From Givat Shol. I want to tell you one thing that he was always focusing on, consistently. He always, <clears throat> today we don't understand it because we all have phones, but back then was people didn't have smartphones, and it was it was uh, very common to find people, young young boys that they want to go somewhere, they used to look for any friend if there's any friend who can come with them. And he was complaining about the fact that a guy feels bored to be with himself. We 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 we're flowing the current. And we don't we don't have a second to be with ourselves to think about ourselves. If a person would learn to know himself, he is the most wealthiest person that can enjoy to be with himself to think about his life, to make his to to build up his thoughts and his connection first of all to himself, and through that to connect to connect to Hakadosh Baruch We just. Had the, the holiday of Chag Shavuot that we're talking about Kabbalat Torah. Kabbalat Torah means to accept the Torah. But I always felt that in order to accept anything, first of all, you have to accept yourself. And we live in a generation that many people, they live other people's life. We just, people just care about the image. They would, they would laugh when they're expected to laugh. They would, be upset when they would be ex- they would be accept, uh, expected accepted to. to be upset. They would act exactly like society expect them expect them to act. And many people just passing near life, they're living other people's life. They they don't live their Her own life. You know, I was I have a chiddush when we say mode ani lefonecho. There are many times we say mode manachno. Why do we have to start the day mode ani? Because you have to appreciate the you. You have to appreciate the self. Get to know yourself. Appreciate the self. And thank Hashem. Hashem is giving you a unique day that you can shine to make something special of yourself. I think it's right on path with what you're saying. Beautiful. I was once, I came up, once I came back from Yeshiva at night. It was 12.30 at night. And I met Rabbi Shmuel Brazil. Sure. And he asked me, Rabbi, what do you spoke tonight? What What do you talk tonight in Yeshiva? As I told them about the sentence, it was the beginning of Chodesh Elul, about the concept of Anila Dodi Vedodili. As he asked me, Anila Dodi mean me to my beloved, to Hashem and Hashem to me. As he asked me, what do you say? What do you, what do you, what do you explain? What do you send? I said, the first letter in the statement is Ani. A, f- a person, f- first of all, has to k- build a connection to himself. Once he finds the connection to himself, he notices, he, 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 he respects himself. He knows his attributes. He, know, he knows, he, he searches about his value. His value. He, he searches about the meaning for his life. Then he's able to build a connection with others, including a Kaddish Baruch. When a person no, no, learns to appreciate, who he, who, uh, to, appreciate, to appreciate himself, then he's able to connect to Kaddish Baruch. Then he's also able to connect to others. And then he is also able to give others. 
there are, I, I, I think that the most miserable people are people who always need feedback from others to feel that they have any value. They're the most poor people. Because he needs, he needs, he needs charity, he needs charity to feel his existence, to feel that he's worth anything. And I always feel that a full cup pours can give others. An empty cup always needs other people to fill them up. And that's something very important to know our value as human beings, as Jews, and each one of us individually his specialness, his uniqueness. And that's the way we can, after, with, with that pride, with understand, by understanding you're significant, you're able to connect yourself to Hashem, to your nation, to your people, and to any human being. Amazing. So I know that you're a rabbi in a yeshiva, you're teaching there day and night, you're teaching, teaching Torah to, to many, many students. So, in my life, becoming a rabbi was, there was a certain turning point where I felt like I have a responsibility. I need to share Hashem's Torah with his children. I, ne- I don't care where it is, if it be in Houston, if it be in, in Antarctica, I have to go out and teach Judaism to Jews. That's my job. What was the turning point in your life where you decided, you know, you can go work in, 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 the, in the diamond industry in Tel Aviv. You can go and you can uh, sell on Amazon. There are many options out there. You're a very capable man. Why would you dedicate your life to teaching Torah? What was the turning point where you said, ah, this is my Christ, this is my responsibility in my life to dedicate myself to teaching Hashem's Torah? To be honest, way before I decided to dedicate my life to teach other people Torah, I already decided to dedicate myself to learn Torah and to spend most of my time learning Torah. And, and at what point was that? Well, how old were you when that decision came upon you? Very young. Very young. First of all, I liked it. And I learned very fast to appreciate that and to understand that that's the most important thing that but that's unique. we can have. That's unique. I, I remember when I was in Yeshiva, there were many guys who learned and learned and learned, but they didn't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed it. Right, and, but I had role models. I had role models. I had great role models, people I admire, people I looked up to. And since I'm a young boy, every great person that I have any kind of opportunity to get close to him, I used to, I used to, I used to take the opportunity. First, small example, I learned in Yeshivak Tanan Koltaira, there were maybe two Bachim from two guys in my age who used to go every week to speak to he used to come to yeshiva he used to come to the yeshiva for the older guys older guys but me and a friend of mine were the only two that we took advantage of that there were people that I really looked up to them and they inspired me what Torah how Torah can develop, elevate a person to become something so great and they inspired me since I'm a child Young child, amazing. But but the idea of teaching other people Torah and to, to be correct to teach other people Judaism, I think the the changing point was when I was discovered to the to Judaism in America. When I I, I needed to feed my family. 
and I wanted to learn Torah, I took a job at night to teach American boys who come to Israel, student, students 19 years after 12th grade, to come to Israel for a year or two. Uh, I started teaching them. And my motive in the beginning was just, I need a job to feed, to pay my bills, and then I will be able to continue to learn the rest of the day. I took a job at night. I was working between 8 o'clock to 10.30 or 11. And and they paid me well. And my purpose of it was that now my rest of the day I will be able to learn Torah. But once I discover the American, the, the, the American Jewish uh, in life and the American boys, it was the game changer. Because I felt... And I'm not saying that in Israel we don't, we're not, we're not discussing, we're not, we're not struggling with the similar issues. But when I got exposed to what's going on in America, I felt that Judaism in America in a certain way is a risk. And right away, immediately, I felt tremendous responsibility to do as much as I can to, to help young ages in America, it started in America, to strengthen their connection to Judaism. I think that was a game changer. The first year when I start learning more and get to know the American boys who really live American culture and they struggle with things that I would never fathom as a Bachel, as a guy who grew up in Israel, in my generation. And you know what? I felt so much love to them and so much mercy for them. I will tell you the truth. It was a period of time that I was even a bit upset on God. And I used to tell him, God, what are you giving your children such as hard struggles they struggle so much to be hidden. And why it's my job to clean your mess? What do you want from your children? They're living well, Western culture life 20, 2020, 2023. And it's so hard because everything outside is against Jewish values. Wherever they go, whatever. I mean, even that, even many of them, they lived Western culture, Western life culture. And they also need to be Jewish. And it's a conflict. Everything outside screams. Everything outside is against Jewish values. Materialism. Desires. Following desires. Money. Everything. It's, it's so far from our original culture. And to keep, to being, be a affiliator in this in this uh, in these conditions of life, it's so hard. I don't blame them, and I was. It was a painful question for me. I was asking God, Hashem, why why do I need to clean your mess? And what did Hashem answer you? And one day I got I got I got the inspiration, and I I I think I understand what Hashem wants. You know, when it really hit me, it was the first time. I met in Meshbuz 
and nephew of the Chofetz Chaim. And we were sitting together on Friday night. Now, Medjibush is where the Baal Shem Tov is buried. He wasn't a part of my group. He wasn't a part of my group. He came, he he lived in... So you were there for Shabbos? We were there for Shabbos, and he was random, and he joined our group, him and his friend, and he looked at me like a religious boy. In the middle of the meal, someone comes to me, Rabbi, you have to speak to him. Let's say his name is Moshe. He's dating a Gentile. And I knew statistics, but then as an Israeli who grew up in Yerushalayim, and it was, I heard that there is such a thing in America. I never saw it in life. I never, I never, I could never believe that, that a religious boy who comes to the Baal Shamta for Shabbat and he went to Yeshiva. He will, that he's struggling with this. He's struggling with that. And I felt pain in my heart. I can just say that that Friday night, I was talking about our nation and about our responsibility to our heritage, to our ancestors, who was willing to jump to the fire, not to betray a god, and they were hoping that that child that is hidden somewhere in the forest, he will keep holding the torch of Judaism. And each one of us has thousands of these type of ancestors who jump to the fire not to betray god. And here, teenagers don't even understand the significance of, of marrying a non-Jewish girl. Their children will not be Jewish. And I can say that we were sitting together, 40 people crying the heart about the struggle of our nation. And then God gave me the answer. Obviously, <laughs> I'm not a prophet, but it hit me the idea. And I think that's, that, that is the truth. Rashi says in in Parshat Lech Lecha that he brings source from the Torah that we say Eloke Avraham, Eloke Yitzchak, Eloke Yaakov. But the the end of the first bracha in Shmona we begin with Eloke Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, but we end the sealed of the bracha is just Magen Avraham. We mention just Avraham, and the words of Rashi are Yachol Chotmim BeKulam. Maybe we will seal the bracha with everyone, with all the three fathers. Talmud lomar veheye bracha. We seal the bracha, the end, the chatima is just with you. As right away I heard from the word sealed, bracha chotmim, it doesn't refer just to the chatima of the bracha. It's the chatima of history. Hmm. We have three fathers, but the last generation will be a generation who wants people that has to do with Avram Avinu. And everyone think, when you think about Avram Avinu, you think about Chesed. But there's another quality to Avram Avinu, the Gemara says in Chagiga and in Sukkah. Maya Fupa Maich Banalim Bat Nadiv. Avram Avinu is called a noble guy, a volunteer. But our nation are called the daughter of that volunteer. But Bito shall Avraham Avinu Avraham Avinu didn't get Jewish education. He volunteered. He volunteered to make his research to find the meaning of life and to share that with the world. And he, once he found it, he 
shared it with the, with the world. But I feel that God wants, when he, the end of history, we about we we approaching the end of history. God is coming. He is about to achieve his goal from this whole creation from creation. What God wants is a generation of volunteers. It's, uh, it was it was uh, in, I think there's a movie about Pearl Harbor, and there's a statement there. There's nothing stronger than the heart of a volunteer. Avraham Avinu did not get Jewish education. He brought himself to the table. What God wants in our generation, He shakes the world. And He creates a generation that education, community, tradition, society, what kept Judaism together, us together, all those things almost don't exist. And anyone who kept in track with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, you will be one that will decide to nice. bring himself to the table. No one will put on tefillin in our generation just because his grandfather put on tefillin. It has to mean, it has to mean something to him. That's the answer wants, to your question. That's exactly what I understood. Nakarosh Baruch Hu creates, he, 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 he created a platform to build Judaism of a Vaimavinu type of, of Jews, people who brought themselves to the table. And it's interesting that the last Rashi in the, in the Navi, and again, the last Pasuk in Navi also, the last Pasuk talks about the days of Eliyahu and Navi. It says, Ve'ishiv lev avot al banim, ve'lev banim al avotam. Rashi says, ve'lev banim al avotam, Rashi says that their children, they will bring back their parents. If during history, Judaism went through father to son, the last generation will be the opposite. It will be son to father. The children, they will bring back the father. Could be the father will be religious, but it's going to be empty. He will do, yeah, he will sound check out, he dives three times a day. But his heart is not going to be there. The children, the volunteers, they will connect, they will bring the parents to connect. Amazing. I think that was a game changer in my life. And since then, I, whenever I meet any type of young Jews, I think that's the biggest, that's my life mission, to try to strengthen their connection to Judaism, to give them some pride. They should learn some history, some Jewish history, to understand that their history did not begin when they were born and not going to end when they will die. We are part of a tremendous, another chain, a tremendous, another link in a tremendous, tremendous chain. We begin with Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, through Matan Torah, and Exodus, Yitzhak, Mitzrayim. It's such a great history of great people. And each one of us has thousands of thousands of ancestors who was willing to jump to the fire, not to betray God. And they put on our shoulders the load, responsibility, the mer- and, and, and the and the and the schot, the privilege, the privilege to give over the the, tor- the torch of Judaism further on. Amazing! Wow! If there was one thing that you can bring back from your childhood, what would it be? 
I know it's an interesting question. You're probably not thinking like what? <laughs> so let me tell you, I had I had, go back to yeah. To what would you want to bring back from your childhood? I'll give you an example. So one of the guests we had on this Sunday special, uh, Rabbi Feldheim, so he said that he wants to bring back the balconies of the shuls. That it, to bring back the balconies, the balconies brought a certain seriousness that people knew that someone's looking at them daven, <coughs> that someone is looking at them pray. And they daven more sincerely. They daven with more, with more uh, passion. And, but they couldn't see them. And in a way, it's replicating our relationship with Hashem, where Hashem sees everything we do, but it's not so easy. We can see Hashem, but not in the same way Hashem can see us. That was his, his chiddush. He spoke beautifully about it. What do you say, Rabbi Blachman? I experience simple Jews with simple emunah. I remember I used to dive in Breslov in a shul in Katamon. When in the night of Tisha B'Av, people were sitting on the floor with, was was completely dark with candles and crying their hearts because they felt connected. Today we are so would say numb numb or so finicky no one really sits in a dark room yeah they shut off some lights but I saw people that in Rosh Hashanah they were they were they were they were afraid from the judgment of Hashem I saw people that in Tisha B'Av they were they were so upset as as a personal tragedy happened to them I saw people that they were simply connected to Hashem and they didn't have any expectations from life besides that. To go back to those to the simple years that in Yerushalayim there were so many people that they were just trying to live a simple life, pure life, without caring about any without about the image, without trying to live luxury life. Just live simple life. When you live simple life, you can give spirituality much more focus. Because anything physical, anything materialistic is interrupting our soul to shine and to take leadership in our life. Amazing. Thank you. So you started mentioning a little bit on our history, our link in the chain. They were ready to jump into the fire. It leads me to the next question about the Holocaust. So, about a, a month ago, we commemorated Yom HaShoah, which is an arbitrary day because every day is Yom HaShoah. Every day, millions of Jews were murdered, uh, whether it be in the Holocaust or in pogroms or expulsions or you name it. There's been we've gone through a lot as a, as a people, but being that that's the most recent event in our history of that magnitude what in your opinion is the most important lessons from the holocaust <coughs> okay that's a that's a very important question but before i'm going to answer this question let me to put a footnote because you say that the holocaust is the most recent tragedy of our nation of such magnitude Okay, I still think that there is something even even closer and more recent. More recent, 
me as a Jew, I feel that we're experiencing a Holocaust right now. I think that there are more than 6 million Jews who drifted away completely from any Jewish identity since the Holocaust until now. And I feel that we're losing every day limbs of limbs of limbs of our nation. We're losing them. We're losing a huge amount of our nation. <clears throat> I'm not coming to compare, I'm not coming to judge, to talk about the evilness of the, of the Germans. That's not my point. But us as a nation, then we lost six million holy Jews. But since then, we lost much more than six million holy Jews. Uh, they, their children lost completely their identity as Jews. And that's for me, such a, we should make Yom HaShoah just for that. It's a painful, painful tragedy that happens and still keeping, still going on. Again, us as a nation. Us as a nation. Again, physically they're alive. But spiritually, they're detached from their roots and from their nation. If someone has a job of national pride, he should care about that. We lost, I think, larger amount of num- numbers than six million. Yeah. Since the Holocaust were over. Now we got into your question. <clears throat> I would try not. I, if I would say it, thirty years ago, probably, probably I would I would get a slap from 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 uh, from uh, Holocaust survivors, and I'm. I'm humble enough to say that I'm not saying anything of, about my opinion. I'm just trying to, to say the way I understand through the eyes of the Torah how we should perceive the Holocaust. I was once with my children in Yad Vashem and a German lady came to me and she asked me, do I teaching my children to forgive? As I told her, first of all, where am I? What's my right to forgive? To what happened to my to my grandfather? To, my, to what happened to in my entire nation? Where am I? But I told her it's much deeper <clears throat> because it's not what I give. What I'm teaching my children, but Holocaust is not that the Germans were bad people and we have to take revenge. That's God's business. Anyways, it's not our business. What I teach my children is what we need to learn from it in our perspective that the Germans, they were the stick that God used them to hit us because we we deserve it. And that's a focus. Because us as Jews, we're not there. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not taking revenge. We, no one can take revenge. Whether you're going to kill another 20 Nazis is that will be revenge. You can take revenge of six million people of a million and a half children. Only God can take revenge. And it's not it's not my hope. God will take his revenge. He knows God takes revenge. But as far as my concern, I need to focus on what I need to learn from the Holocaust. And I think that the Torah is teaching us that we need to understand that there were tools. God used them to punish us. It's not between me and the Germans. It's between me and Hashem. 
couple years ago, I was going back from yeshiva, one o'clock at night, and uh, there was a student hitching near the highway. Hitchhiker. Yeah. It's common, I, in, it's common in, in Israel. Israel, yes. And I stopped my car, asked him, what do you need? He said, Jerusalem, beautiful, come. And he did not sound religious, not any, in, in any sense. And it took a few minutes, you know, until the environment was was more relaxed. And he realized that I don't have horns. And then he asked me, Rabbi, I can ask you a philosophical question. I told him, for sure you can ask. I'm not sure I will be able to answer your questions, but uh, why not? Let's discuss it. Let's hear. And then he asked me, like he, 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 he like threw a bomb, a bomb on me. How <clears throat> Judaism fit with the Holocaust? I mean, his assumption was that that Judaism and the Holocaust are a contradiction. It's a contradiction, and Judaism is under a threat because if God exists and God is good, how how it fit the Holocaust? As I told him, my friend, the biggest proof to Judaism is the Holocaust. The biggest proof to Judaism is the Holocaust. He says, how come? I told him, you notice that until 200 years ago, it did not exist at all a new version of Judaism. A Judaism without commitment to, to, to be an affiliator. It did not exist. The word Jews who, who went away and they converted to Christianity but did not exist such a thing a Jew that not, doesn't keep Shabbat. Did not exist. Everyone learned history. You should know. It's a fact. In the last 200 years, our nation fell apart. Because of certain movements, <clears throat> our nation as a nation, and again, I'm not blaming any one individual. I'm including myself. We're part of We're a part people. Of the same nation. But our nation as a nation fell apart. And big high percentage stop uh, is, is stop following the 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 will of Hashem. They stop living their life according to Hashem's will. And I told him, "You ever read the Bible?" He said, "He told me no." I I, I told him, "Listen, look in Parshat Bechukotai." That's the end of Leviticus, last portion of Leviticus. In, Kitavo, in the middle of Deuteronomy, right? And look. What God wrote 3,000 years ago, what's going to happen to our nation if we were not going to follow his rules? And describe exactly what's going to happen to us. Of why we have the, why we have the right to complain. God told us that exactly that's what's going to happen to us. But it happened. He was, he was pretty impressed. He asked me notes. He asked me exactly to give him exactly the, where exactly is located those parshiot. And then he asked me a smart question. He asked me, if so, why we found that many, many righteous people and people who were religious and tzaddikim and tamid chachamim, they, they also got murdered. And it's obvious. I told him, that's a very good question. But the answer is also very good. Again, we are one identity. We are the Am Israel. It's like one body. It's exactly like if you have an infection in your finger, it can raise the entire body. Because we are one identity. We, have, we, have, we are committed to each other. 
We are guarantors to each other. Whatever happens in any area <clears throat> in our nation, it's my business. Exactly like it's my business if there's a Jew somewhere in L.A. who struggles with Judaism because I care about him, because we are one. We are, we are one nation. Exactly like in the good period of times of our nation, when we had the, the King Solomon and we had the Holy Temple built, as obviously there were people that they did not earn uh, such a luxury life, such a good life. But since they are part of a nation and the nation deserve it, as also those people get it. So in the opposite, I'm, I'm not here to blame. It's it's my problem. That our nation is not stop living in a certain way the way it was expected to live, and our problem it's not us against against others; it's us against us. And God told us that that can happen to us. And yes, we have public responsibility. Person, we have a national responsibility to each other. I think we can see it in our life also in a very positive way. I think that our nation is very unique about people feeling responsibility to each other in any many, many areas in life. If some Jew got in trouble somewhere in Colombia, the entire Jewish world will try to, to help him. Because we are, we're brothers. We are brothers, exactly. Yeah. That's our identity. We are brothers. So I want, I want to ask a question on this on this same vein. So many of our listeners are dealing with Shabbos. Shabbos is a goal for every Jew to observe Shabbos. We see in the Torah there's so much emphasis on Shabbos as kihi mikora brocha. It's the source of all blessing. Our relationship with Hashem is based on how our Shabbos with Hashem is. What would you tell someone? If they asked you, Rabbi, give me a reason. Why should I keep Shabbos? What's so special about Shabbos? What do you have to say? I will tell you. Today, because of a stupid reason, I wasn't allowed to go on a flight. They told me I need a visa to Israel. I'm I'm an Israeli citizen. I flew with my French passport, and they told me you cannot go on the flight because I need a visa to Israel. I told them, guys... You guys are retarded. You know, it's, even French don't need visa to Israel, but I'm also an Israeli. Because I missed my flight, and I came back, <clears throat> and I didn't know. So just so that you can be on this podcast. That's that's that's, that's the second reason. But already I got the first reason, because beforehand, once the cab dropped me back in the neighborhood, I met a young boy from L.A. that you probably will be knowing that I just met him a day ago in the Chag. And we felt connected right away. And told me, Rabbi, let's learn something. Let's learn some Torah. I know that a day ago I didn't know him. Tomorrow he's going back to LA, I'm going back to Israel. I don't know if I can ever meet him in my life. But I came back to Houston and I learned with him for an hour. And we learned about Shabbat. Wow. And we learned a very interesting Gemara. The Gemara says <coughs> that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, after 13 years in the cave, he was escaping the Roman decree, they wanted to kill him. 
and he was sitting and learning with his son 13 years, doing nothing but think about the God and learning his knowledge. When they came out, they saw people plowing their fields, planting their fields. And spontaneous, what they said, how come people can be busy with a temporary life and ignoring the infinite life, the world to come? And they were very, very upset. And it's interesting that what made them to calm down, it took a year, but what made them to calm down, they saw a Jew running with two bundles of hadasim, of flowers, myrtles, and, myrtles. Uh, and and the, before uh, in Friday afternoon, they asked him, "Why do we need them?" He said, "It's lechavot Shabbat to honor the Shabbat." They asked him, "Why do we need two? One is enough." This question is very familiar. We're very familiar with the question. Why do we need to learn two hours a day? One is enough. Why do we need to dive three times a day? One is enough. But if, if you're passionate about something, there's no enough. They said right away, one corresponding Shamor, one corresponding Zachor. And that's how Rabbi Shimon Baruchai calmed down. How does it answer the question? How people can plow their field and plant it, planting the field and ignoring the rule to come. Not learning Torah, not praying, not 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 spending most of the day in spirituality, That's because that Jew respect Shabbat. How does he answer this question? But the answer is very simple. There are two types of Shabbat. If you look at Shabbat and Shabbat as a social day, it means that I'm working hard during the week. I need one day a break to rest. And to charge myself for the next week. Let's, let's think. What's the tool? What's the goal? Shabbat is the tool. The goal is the week. I'm using Shabbat in a certain way to charge myself to be ready to go to the next week. That's one way of practicing Shabbat. But what Rabbi Shimon Baruchai saw, that that guy has passion to Shabbat, and it cannot be, because if Shabbat is only a tool for the week, they should be very passionate about the week, not about Shabbat. He saw that this guy understands the meaning of life. Shabbat represents man olam Shabbat represents the spiritual life. You're working hard six days, you're getting involved in creation. You start pretending that maybe... It's yours, you, you making progress. It's your success. And that's what life is about. Akadosh Baruch tells you, one day, leave the world the way it is. You should acknowledge, first of all, that success doesn't come from you. You taking actions, success comes from Akadosh Baruch But more so, that the purpose of life you have is a spiritual life. You have one day that you don't go to work. You have time to daven. You have time to learn the Torah. You have time to spend with your family, to give them Jewish education, to give over your knowledge to them, to sit together with the family, to live a spiritual day. As the Zohar calls Shabbat, Yom Adonishmata, the day, the day of, the, of soul. the soul. If six days we're busy with our body, 
one day a week, we're busy with our soul. And that's exactly what I learned with, with, with this boy. That's why I came back to Texas. Because if someone during the week look, is looking forward to Shabbat, it's defining his week. Because this guy understands that it's the opposite. Shabbat is the goal. Spiritual life is the goal. The six day of working, that's only a tool. That's what I need to do in order to pay my bills, in order to support my family. But my goal in life is spirituality. I'm working in the field, but I'm looking forward to Shabbat, that I will be able to be with my soul. I will be able to pray longer. I will be able to learn more. I will be able to sit with my family to give them Jewish education. As yes, I'm working in the temporary world, but I'm not ignoring the real world. Shabbat defining you as a Jew in the six days of working. Because you're working in the field, but you're looking forward to the two hours a night that you will go to Davin Mencha and Arvit and you can learn Torah. You're looking forward to the Shabbat that you'll be able to spend time with the children and to live a spiritual life. Those moments defining you in the field. Amazing. That's what you just learned. Amazing. Beautiful. So I have now just a couple of quick questions about right now where there are some really, really amazing things going on in the Jewish world. The chesed, the kindness that's going on, the Torah study that's going on. I was in Israel. I went north. I went south. Wherever you go, there's a shul. There's a Talmud Torah. There's a, there's a, a Beis Yaakov. Wherever you go, it's unbelievable. What is your favorite thing when you look at the Jewish people today? What is the greatness of the Jewish people that you see? The desire to be connected to their roots. I want to tell you, I was very, very, very excited a couple weeks ago. A couple months, maybe two months ago. In Israel, I don't know if you know, but there's a whole politics about so, certain reform. What? I don't know. I don't know what politics is. No reform in the court. I don't really care about that. But I do care. And it really touched my heart that there were 600,000 Jews. Huge part of them are not affiliators. And they came together and they were all saying together, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Wow. And one of the speakers, she was a model. I didn't know, I didn't know about her because it's not, a, I'm not, not, I'm not a part of this society. But I just heard. She was a model. Yeah, you know, she's not dressing the way I'm expecting my, my, my daughter to dress. She, but she said, first of all, before she spoke, she took a, she, she took a cup and she said, Bracha shakun yabed varo. And 600,000 people said amen. Wow. And afterwards she said a statement. And she said, you don't have to keep Shabbat to be a Jew. She didn't say it. She said it not, that is an excuse not to keep Shabbat. What she wanted to say, that I can feel connected even though I'm not keeping Shabbat. Judaism is still important for me even though I'm not holding yet by keeping Shabbat. Beautiful. What I heard then, it was the heart pounding of our nation. That it's keep, that, that yes, we have a future. We have to do the best, but God is beyond. And God told us that Am Yisrael is high. And even sometimes we feel that and we're losing people, maybe in but at the end of the day, 
we need to do our best. The will take will do his part. But our nation will keep going. Jews want to connect to who they are. They, if many, sometimes we have layers of dirt covering our soul, but deep down, the Jewish heart is pounding, and so many, so many, so many Jews, even though they they they're not they're not fully affiliated, but they want the connected, they want the connection, and they appreciate themselves as Jews, and that gave me a lot of hope, it gave me a lot of excitement. And I know that I know that our nation will, will stay the most special nation forever. And without Hashem, with Mashiach, the entire world will come along to identify God as the one and only. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi Blachman. I appreciate it so much. Do you have an email, a yeshiva, that people can come see you at? For sure. I have a yeshiva in the old city of Jerusalem, right near the... David Tomb, Kevin David. And You're there every day. I'm there usually every day. And email address. If you want, if anyone has a question, they want to reach out to you. Okay, my email address is tablach, B L A C H, at gmail.com. All right. If anybody's interested in reaching out to my dear friends, my dear listeners, thank you so much. Is a, a tremendous privilege, Rabbi Blachman. Thank you. Thank you so much for you. enlightening me and I'm sure our audience as well tremendously with your in, incredible words, your holy words. Thank you. And have a safe trip back. I hope that they allow you, even without a visa, to go back to Israel. <laughs> I, I think it's just to give us a, a maybe a desire to – it's not so easy to go to Israel. Today it's become easy. You just buy a ticket and you get on a plane. But the truth is Moshe fought with Hashem, he prayed hundreds and hundreds of times. Vayet Hanan, he he plead, plead Hashem, let me go into the land of Israel. As Chazal, the Talmud tells us, Eretz Yisrael miknat beisulim. You have to. It's not easy. You have to go through yeah, a lot of to affliction get to get to Israel. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank right. you so much. You've been listening to the Jewish Inspiration Podcast, a Torch production. Become a supporter at torchweb.org because your assistance enables more Torah learning around the globe. To find more lessons offered by Torch, please visit torchpodcasts.com.